I hope you're feeling a little courageous this morning. Hopefully uh, you're getting a little encouragement as we have been together. We are so glad to have you here at East Brainerd this morning. Whether you are on vacation, whether you live here in town, maybe you came to our Bible school this last week, whatever it is that then brought you here to be with us, we are, we are so thankful that you are here. We are going to be talking about courage today. Uh, so uh, I thought it was appropriate considering that yesterday was the 50th anniversary of what I consider to be maybe one of the most courageous things I have ever heard about in my life. The Apollo 11 mission landed on the moon 50 years ago, Michael Collins and Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. And I mean, just think about it for a moment, how that those guys said, yeah, I want to be strapped to a rocket. Yeah. And I want to be shot up into space. And I want to go and land on this big rock that when I am here on earth, I can cover up with my thumb if I hold it at just the right angle. And I want to hang out there for a few days. And I want to walk around. And then I just want to get back in my space car and come home. And those guys did that. And no one else had ever done that before. And when I think about this idea of courage and being courageous, I'm like, I, I, I will never do anything like that. I, I made a promise to my wife. I will never do anything like that. I'm just not. That, that is just not me. And, and for many of you, you know what? Uh, you are not astronaut material. You are not the right stuff. I just want to go ahead and tell you. A lot of you grew up saying, hey, when you got to be an adult, you wanted to be an astronaut. I know that was on some of your minds. How did that work out for you? Yeah, then you found out what astronauts actually do, right? And you were like, that is crazy. I can never go and do anything close to, to, to that. And so maybe like me, you have decided just to go ahead and live your life in the shallow end of the pool, right? It's like, hey, I'll let, I'll let the Buzz Armstrongs, I'll, or the Neil Armstrongs, the Buzz Aldrins, I'll, um, I'll let those guys, um, I'll let them jump off into things like that. But I am not going to do it. I'm not going to do it myself. So I started thinking, I was like, you know, what, what is something though that does take, what is something that takes courage? And I figured it out. I saw it this week. And some of you have already done this. It takes courage to go and get that face app and age yourself. Now, some of you have seen this already online, and, and many of you have gone and to see what you were going to look like as, as you got older. And, and I know that there's nothing physically challenging about this, and, and you're not putting your life in danger, except, I don't know, it, your information is going to be in Russia. I don't know what that's going to mean, but um, you're not putting your life in danger with any of this. It's not like a moonwalk, but, but it takes a lot of courage to age yourself and then to put it out there. I found this photo of the Avengers. They, um, they aged themselves. They don't look nearly as, as strong and, and mighty as they, as they used to. And how about this one of King James? Go ahead. Yeah, that's LeBron James. If you can't tell, that's what he's going to um, maybe look like in a, in a few years. And how about the Jonas Brothers, right? Those good-looking guys. Yeah, they were courageous enough to put that out there and, and everything. So I thought, you know what? Um, I was a little bit too afraid to do this myself. Uh, but Derek DePriest, um, our worship minister... <laughs> 
Man, that is just silky smooth right there. I mean, I'm really not for sure he used the app. I just think he, I just think he, he just, you know, did, did a little um, computer magic there. I mean, Derek, you look the same. Just, just, you know, with a little Grecian formula right there. I don't know, something. Uh, but, but, but Derek decided that um, not only would he put his own face on there, but that he would just take it upon himself to see what the preacher would look like. And I, I tried to dress appropriately so you can compare. <laughs> Apparently, preaching here for the next few years is going to be very hard on me. <laughs> e- either that, or I take up drinking. I'm not for sure which. Uh, I'm not for sure which one. Um, but man, it's going to take courage to get older, guys. Some of you already know that you, you don't get older unless you're tough. You don't go into your later years without some courage, because you know what. Perhaps you might end up looking like. Put that, get, get, get rid of that, get rid of that. <laughs> no, please, get rid of that. Go ahead. <sighs> oh, man. But seriously, God, there's courage that we need in this room. And there it is again. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We, well, that, that'll just keep popping up just to see who is paying attention during the, um, during the lesson. There is courage that is going to be needed, though. There's courage that's going to be needed. Again, not necessarily perhaps physical courage. We're not going to be talking necessarily today about things that are going to, to put your life in danger. But it takes courage for us to live the lives that God has called us to. You know, every time someone says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I, I want to be baptized. That takes courage. That takes courage. Especially when it happens in a scenario, in a situation like this, when maybe someone at the end of a service will come down and and say, you know what, I'm a little nervous about what other people are going to think. I'm I'm a little concerned that maybe my family isn't supporting me in this, but this is what I want to do because I love God and I know that God, man, I know he loves me. It takes courage. It's going to take courage this week for a young lady who hears this message to break off a relationship with a guy that she really likes, but because she knows it's not what God wants for her, she has to say no. That's courage. It's going to take courage tonight for for a husband to look at his wife and say, you know what, why don't we start praying together? I haven't done a very good job of being a spiritual leader in this home, but I want to start. It takes courage. It takes courage for the employee to tell, tell the boss, you know what, I'm not going to doctor the receipts anymore. I, I'm not going to do this. It takes courage to sit across my friend and say, I just can't seem, to, I can't seem to control my temper and I just keep yelling at my kids or I'm struggling with drinking. I've, it's gotten out of control. It takes courage to say, I, I'm struggling with pornography and I've just kept it a secret. It's hard to be that honest. It takes courage. It takes courage to fight for a marriage when you're married to someone that you, you're just not for sure if you're still in love with. And I think more than we realize, courage is a quality that is desperately needed among the people of God. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to go to a passage that you can find in your Old Testament. You've, you've heard it alluded to at different times already while we've been here this morning. It's in Joshua chapter 1. I encourage you to go ahead and find that in your Old Testaments. And we're going to gain some strength and courage from some old witnesses of God's great power and, and strength. Now while you're turning there, you need to know that Moses has died. 
Moses has died and the Israelites are preparing to enter into the land of Canaan. And God needs someone who will now be raised up as leader. And so he chooses Joshua. Joshua is about 40 or 50 years younger than Moses. He represents the next generation, so to speak. And it's going to be his responsibility to lead the people into Canaan. And here's the interesting thing. 40 years earlier, 40 years earlier, the Israelites stood at this very similar place, just on the outskirts of Canaan. And Moses chose 12 different scouts who would go in and serve as spies, essentially, in this land. To find out more about it, to see the fortifications, to, to learn more about the topography. And Joseph was one of those men. So there he was, 40 years before, and now he's back. But 40 years earlier, 10 of the men came back, 10 of the spies. And you can read about this later in Numbers 13, 14, and 15. And here's the report that they gave to Moses. They said, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And there is some fruit. Here it is. But the people who live there are powerful. And their cities are very well fortified and large. And the people that we saw there, they were all of, of great size. And so they come back and they say, the cities are big. And the cities are protected. And the people look like giants. And they were filled with fear. And so they came back to Moses and they said, you know what? We just can't do it. We can't do this. Well, well that was ten. There were two others that made up the group of 12. And those two came back and said, we've got this. We've got this because God has given us the land. And if God has given us the land, then the land is ours. He has promised this to us and his promises are true. We can do this by the power of God. The spies were Caleb and this man, Joshua. Now, Caleb and Joshua, they saw the same land that the other ten saw. They, they had the same report about the land. The land is spacious. The land is good. The cities are fortified. The towns are large. The people are big. But they had a different vision. Joshua and Caleb had vision while the rest of the spies depended on sight. They were sightseers. They didn't walk by faith. The other ten did not include in their report anything that God had done. They didn't talk about the power of God. They didn't talk about the might of God. They didn't talk about the acts that had brought them there to this point. They didn't account for his faithfulness and all of his promises. Vision produces faith, but sightseeing produces fear. And sadly, fear seems to be more contagious. Because when you read their story, you find out that the people just wept aloud. They need to understand that Moses sent these spies into the land to discover how to take the land. God had already said, the land is yours. I've promised it to you. The land was theirs. But most of the spies went in to find out if they could take the land. And if you are an individual, or if you are a church body, and you want to be afraid, then you will always be able to find reasons to be afraid. The people came back, the ten, and they said, we look like grasshoppers to them. How did they know? Did they go up and ask them? Did they go up and say, excuse me, Mr. Giant, how do we look to you? It was because they were afraid. They assumed it because of the fear that they had. And all that God has done in the past, all of his mighty acts mean nothing if you do not want to see the future that God has in store. 
So here's the deal. If you want to live by sight instead of vision when it comes to your witness, so that you never have to share the good news of Jesus with anybody, and if you want to live by sight when it comes to your finances, so that you never have to make a huge sacrifice ever in your life for the kingdom of God, then the enemy will always give you reason. Will always give you reason to live by that sight. But it's going to mean a life of wandering. It's going to mean a life of wandering instead of claiming and conquering. You understand, right? This is the generation that saw the plagues. This was the generation that watched as the Red Sea opened up for them so that they could leave Egypt. This was the generation that received the law of God. But yet, what are they remembered for? They're remembered as the generation that knew how to conduct funerals. Because that's all they did. Day after day for the next 40 years. And their story has been too often repeated among the people of God. Individuals and congregations that God has brought to the brink of greatness have turned back because they did not have the vision of the future that God wants to give them. You know, the pilgrims came across the Atlantic Ocean in these tiny wooden ships. And they get to the new world and the first thing they do is build a town. The next year, they go and elect a town council. In the third year, the town council decides to build a road five miles into the forest. And in the fourth year, the people, well, they try to impeach the council because they built the road. They had the vision to cross 3,000 miles of ocean. But they couldn't go five miles into the woods. It's amazing how the people of God can be brought so far and overcome so much and get to the brink of the next great adventure and then say, I can't see it. I can't see it. And then turn around. Friends, I believe there are too many Christians and there are too many churches who are attempting nothing, who are accomplishing nothing, who are doing nothing and calling it normal. We have baptized wandering around and walking around in circles as normal for so many churches. And something is wrong when the people of God settle for camping instead of claiming. And so 40 years earlier, Joshua was one of those spies who came back and said, we can do it. We can take it. Let's go. But the people were afraid. They were filled with fear. And so they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now Joseph is, or Joshua is in charge. And the people are going to get a second chance to take the promised land. And so we pick up in Joshua chapter 1. Marco read it earlier. I want us to look at it again. Beginning in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. And no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. 
God is sending his people a second time. He's sending them a second time to take this promised land that he had promised to Abraham and so many hundreds of years earlier. And Joshua, he's a seasoned warrior. He knows it's not going to be easy. Remember, he's been in the land. He's seen the cities. He's seen the fortifications. He's seen the people. And yet God tells him four times in this particular chapter, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. They're not even there yet. They haven't crossed the river. The people haven't even seen a city. They haven't seen any of the people. But what's God doing? He is preparing them ahead of time for what's going to happen later. And here's what I think you see with their story. God prepares us now for what will be required of us later. Have you experienced this before? That you look back and you can see how that you went through something years ago and, and you understand more clearly now how that was a time of preparation where you were in a crucible of pe- preparation where God was getting you ready for something that was going to happen maybe years later. Or you look back and you remember a message that God had for you maybe a week or a month ago and you realize now that it was no accident that he was preparing you then for what you would experience later. And you need to know that whether you're aware of it, the same thing is actually happening right here and right now. This week, you're going to be called upon to be a person of courage, to be obedient to faith, to to step past your fears, and to step out and take a risk. And God has been preparing you. God has been preparing you all week. God has been preparing you all month. God has been preparing you this last year For what it is that you are going to experience this next week. You know, if only we could sit down. Just sit down and be able to open up our story and lay it all out in pictures. And look at each single one. And be able to look back and see how that God has been with us during all types of times and experiences in our life. And be able to realize exactly how he had been preparing us for something that we had no idea was coming. You see, after 40 years of wandering, God brought the kids back to see if they would do what their parents were too afraid to try. So on the banks of the Jordan River, Joshua told the people, Tomorrow... Tomorrow the Lord is going to do great wonders among you. Now I want you to notice something here. I want you to see how Joshua, how he focuses the people's vision on God and not on the river that is in front of them. He focuses their attention on God and not on the task that they're going to have to undertake. He doesn't focus their attention on the cities. He's not going to talk about the giants. He's not going to talk about anything else. He's going to focus on God. For three days, the people had been camped beside overflowing water. The river was near flood stage. It had been overflowing its banks. Possibly, they could not even see to the other side. At times, the Jordan is known to be able to overflow so that there is a mile, a mile from, from side to side. And, and yet, they are sitting there, and they have to start to think, you know what? We are not going to be able to do this on our own. 
This is not going to be something that we are going to be able to accomplish to get across to the other side. They had to realize that if their dream was going to come real, that something or someone was going to have to act. Word started to spread among them that when they saw the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, that they were to move and they were to follow them. They were not going to wait for the floodwaters to recede. They were going to follow God. Now I know that for many of us, we just like to wait until all the conditions are right. Wait till all the conditions are right and until all the puzzle pieces fit together. And we're going to wait until we are sure and confident about our, our health and about our, about our wealth. But guys, if we spend all of our time waiting for the rivers to recede, we will never witness the power and might of God. Because I don't need God if the water is ankle deep. I don't need God if I can see across to the other side. I don't need God when I can carefully control every situation and every action and every response. And yet haven't you realized and noticed that God seems to call us during flood season? Have you experienced this? He calls us to follow him when the money is tight. And we're like, God, if we could just wait until next week because I'm going to get paid. God, if you could just wait until I get the new job. If you could just wait till the kids are out of college. Lord, if you could just wait. Have you noticed how he says, why don't you follow me when morale is low? It's like, Lord, if there were just more people with me. I don't want to be the only one to stand up. I don't want to be the only one who takes a stand. I don't want to be the only one that has values set in your scripture. Or how about when he calls and says, why don't you follow me when public opinion is changing? And you begin to look around and the things that you have held to be true and the things that you have valued and the things that you have always believed are being cast aside. God, why, why now? Why not when they're, when they're more like me? Or, or, or what about when God says, why don't you follow me when it's going to cost you friendships? And why don't you follow me when it's going to mean sacrifice? God, why can't you just, why can't you just wait? Why can't you just wait until the river recedes? Why can't you wait until there's a more opportune time? Why can't you wait until everything settles down? Because if God waits till the river recedes, you can walk across on your own. You might be tempted to think that, you know what, your marriage is all about you. You might be tempted to think that all the success that you have had is all because of your ingenuity. And it's all because of your intelligence. You might be tempted to think that it's all about your looks. You might be tempted to think that it's all about your planning. And it's all about all the goals and dreams that you have that you're accomplishing. And God says, why don't you go across when the river is overflowing? You see, friends, I still believe. I still believe that our Lord wants us to, I believe he wants to do great things among us. But we must stop waiting for the waters to be calm. We have to stop waiting until everything is just like we want it. Until everything falls into place. It's time that we step out in faith. And so in Joshua chapter 3 it says, that morning Joshua goes to the priest. He says, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. And so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. 
And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went out ahead of them. And it was the harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge. I wish you had never heard this story. I wish this was the first time as you were reading. And you come to this part and you're saying, what's going to happen? What is going to take place? Because you can see your life. And you can see yourself standing at the river's edge. And you see yourself wondering, can I trust God? Can I step across? Can I do this thing that is scaring me to death? And as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. The water flow stopped at Adam. But here's what you need to understand. Adam is 20 miles upstream from where they are. 20 miles. The priests step into the water and they don't see anything necessarily happening yet. And yet they kept walking anyway. Because the priest had focused on God and not on the river. And if God was going to lead them across, then God was not going to let them fail. And so the water, it stopped 20 miles upstream. It would continue to flow down then to the Dead Sea. And the priests who were there focused on God walked out into the middle of this river and they stood there in the midst of this once overflowing Jordan. And the whole nation, the text says, completed the crossing on dry ground. Friends, I believe that today, at this very minute, God is waiting to respond to our courageous faith. He's waiting. Now the work might begin 20 miles away. God might respond to your faith and it might be up in Cleveland. It might be taking place in Nashville. It might be going on in Texas. It might be something that God is working all the way around the world. But until you have the faith to trust God, to take that step, you will never see the power of God at work. So what step do you need to take? Maybe it's stepping into God's family. Maybe it's that courage that we mentioned earlier of someone who says, you know what? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I want to surrender my life to Him. And that's courageous. Especially now in a culture that time and time again wants to tell you that there is no God and that there is no Jesus and there's no such thing as sin. Or maybe the step is out into ministry. Where you realize that you are the ambassador that God has sent to your classroom. You're the ambassador that God has sent to your neighborhood. You're the ambassador that God has sent to your ball team, to, to your place of business. You're the ambassador that God wants to talk on his behalf. Or maybe it's just a step up into maturity. That for so long you've just been walking back and forth and back and forth along the water's edge. You've never done anything that required faith. 
You've never done anything that would in any way challenge you to believe stronger in God. Oh, you're here every once in a while and you participate in a Bible class here or there. But Jesus didn't die so that you could sit on a comfy pew and so that you could come to a Bible class. Our Savior went to the cross so that humanity could be saved. And that's going to require sacrifice on your behalf to tell that message. And that's going to require courage on your behalf to say, this is how my family is going to live and what the priorities of my family are going to have. You know, the history of this church is a history of people with vision. We stand on the shoulders of men and women who would not, who would not accept the status quo as good enough. And they have sacrificed time and money. And they have paid huge prices so that we could have the opportunities that we have here today. And we cannot get comfortable here as a church family and lose the vision that God has for us. And I know it can be a temptation to say, you know what, why can't we just keep things the way that they are and just build up some walls and and just enjoy who we are and what we have and what we do. But friends, that's the thinking of sightseers. And we're supposed to be conquerors, not wanderers. Men and women who are filled with courage. Football coach Lou Holtz. I heard him tell the story a long time ago about how that when he was 18, he and a good friend of his, Neville Stockdale, decided to swim across the Ohio River at the portion that was going to begin there at the Chester Bridge. It was about a one-mile swim that they were going to have to undertake. They were both young. They were both fit. And it was, a, it was a swim that Coach Holt said that they could easily do. When they began trying to get across to the West Virginia side of the river, he and Neville were about side to side. He said at about the quarter-mile mark, he noticed that Neville began to tire a little bit. By the half-mile mark, His buddy was having a difficult time. They continued to encourage each other. At the three-quarter mile mark, Neville said, I don't think I can make it. And Lou said, we've only got a quarter mile to go to get to West Virginia. And Neville said, I'm going back to Ohio. And Coach Holtz told him, he said, it's closer to get to West Virginia. Keep swimming. And yet he says that his buddy turned around and he swam back to the Ohio shore. He said that his buddy swam a mile and a half all because he didn't believe he could swim a mile. How many steps? How many steps have you taken at the water's edge all because you did not have the courage to take one step into the water? Friends, somehow, someway, As we begin our 10th year together, I am determined to motivate us as a church to go and charge into the next chapter of our history. And here's why. I believe that God's people still have a river to cross and a land to take. I don't think we're finished. I don't think the impact in this city is over. I don't think enough people have heard the message. I don't think enough mouths have been fed. I don't think enough love has been given. I don't think enough opportunity 
has been accepted. We are not saved to stay safe. We were saved to be sent. And our, mes- our mission is to go forward and compel others, just as it says here, to move toward a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're about to sing the song, How Great Is Our God. And while we're singing, I hope that you will be encouraged to come before this family and confess your belief in a great and glorious God. Believing that his son Jesus is not just the savior of this world, but is the savior of your soul. And you would express a desire to be baptized this morning, committing yourself to a life of conquering. Or maybe what you need to do is come and repent of your decision to stand still and attempt nothing for the kingdom. And give nothing and sacrifice nothing. Or why not come and proclaim that you are not going to retire, but that you are going to continue to walk by faith. And 50 years ago, 50 years ago, those three guys were strapped to a rocket and they were blasted to the moon and back. And for 50 years, they have served as an inspiration for people all around the globe to to step out and to do something that utterly can scare them to death, but can make great impact. But can I put before you this morning that long before Neil Armstrong set a foot on the moon, there were some men and women who did something much more courageous. They stepped into the waters of the Jordan, even though it was at flood season, all because of the great God that they served, who said, the land is yours, now go take it. So church, I'm asking, will you follow their example this morning? And will you take that step? Will you claim that promise? And will you worship and praise that God? as we stand together and sing.